Hello friends, Zach here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out the podcast known as Bros, Bibles, and Beer. This is episode 21. Today our guest is David Bullock. He runs Refuge Disability Ministry, and so we get a little bit of his backstory. He grew up Mormon, how he left the Mormon church, and how he got into running a disability ministry. We also get to hear a little bit from his wife, Jillian, and my wife, Lisa, makes a brief appearance as well. Scotty couldn't make it to this one, but we do hear from him via a voicemail, so we'll check that out. We'll find out how Dave is like Maverick from Top Gun. Also, it turns out Dave, in fact, may not be married, and Jeff has a nutty three-part plan for marriage. We had a great time, and I hope you enjoy Please remember to rate us on iTunes, give us a little review, subscribe, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, both are Bros Bibles Beer, and the website is bbbpod.com. You can also send feedback to feedback at Bros Bibles Beer. We'd love to hear from you. We did get a comment on the website from, quote, your biggest fan from a couple episodes ago, the Perry Noble Guarantee And it says, best episode to date, that Greg guy kind of sounds like a dipwad. You should have him on every week. Well, thanks, biggest fan. We appreciate your feedback. Also, we heard from Tally on Facebook that confirmed that babes do, in fact, listen to this podcast. Thanks, Tally. And we look forward to hearing from more of you guys and gals. All right. Well, let's hear from Dave. Just wait a couple years. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. Ho- I don't know why I gotta talk no, that's like a some great bad accent. That's you know, Just wait a couple years. It's gonna be horrible. You're just gonna be pulling you around with your hair. You're gonna be like caveman <laughs> time. It's gonna be awful. Nothing's gonna happen. Everything's gonna dry up. Not Hopefully true. you've had kids by then. Does not sound appropriate for uh, anybody. Not Come knowing on. the context. You of, didn't uh, see Twinkie <laughs> Time? <laughs> no, Jeff, do tell. <laughs> what kind of podcast have I watched? <laughs> okay, I don't know. So uh, I was given a box of Twinkies from my students because it was Teacher Appreciation Week, and I brought them home. My kids are begging for Twinkies. And so there I am holding the Twinkie, and I'm videotaping. Caleb is reaching for the Twinkie, and he's he's like just, it's like the... I did see that. Yeah, the big Twinkie. And, and this little kid is my son. It's saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's an important clarification. T- t- Twinkie. Twinkie. As his hand is just trying to grab it and grasp it up above. It's just, oh, it's just beautiful. Beautiful. I love Twinkies. And he finally got it. And then I had some music. I'd never played music to any video. That was. It was so funny just to watch him. He takes the bite of the Twinkie and just lights up like, whoa, time to move, baby. <laughs> it was Twinkie time. <laughs> and diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> and judgment. Thank you, Dave Bullock. Welcome. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, yeah, I, I did see that. It looked, um, it was funny. It, we should put it on the website if you don't mind, and if your wife doesn't mind, I suppose. It's okay. You don't have to make me feel good. It was an average video. No, it was a good video, and it was funny. No, back but off. Okay, it was bad. Gonna, that kid's going to be in therapy, <laughs> and it's going to take what? years to unlock what you're doing to him. 
I'm also disappointed that there's no intro music. Oh, I know. We're not to cover our banter. We're not equipped to that. There will be witty banter. You'll have no idea when it when it uh, when it happens. It just it 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 manifests. (laughs) I feel like it uh, inspires the. conversation but i know it's added after the fact but it just makes what you're <laughs> bantering is, about sounds so great. great yeah at yeah. first i had no idea what you were talking Behind about but i'm curtain. like oh yes inside stuff yes yeah aubrey aubrey was um lisa my wife asked my aubrey wife. <laughs> to uh do something or no aubrey asked if she could do something i don't remember what the important thing is my wife said no and I reinforce that, and Aubrey's like, "Daddy, how come, how come you always do what mommy wants?" And so I gave her a really good response about how mommy and daddy are a team. Inside, I was like, <laughs> "Oh shit! Now I now I have to." That's to really hurt, Zach. I have to show my kids that I'm also in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, still pending, but uh, it was it was funny how already. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeff. Um, what, uh, what about me? And Dave, are you afraid of your wife? In terms of your wife being in charge, because we know so many guys that are afraid of their wives. Oh, in that way. No. Yeah. So the, the wife is in charge. It's um, never acknowledged, <laughs> but that's basically what's going on. And that's what my daughter was getting at because daddy does back mommy up, but mommy also backs daddy up. In our relationship, but how many guys do we know that are that are afraid of their wives? Uh, Dave, Dave Bullock, are you afraid of your wife? I uh, maybe it's a time thing. We've been married about five months. I'm not yet afraid of my wife. Um, I arbitrarily take stands. I've noticed to try and reclaim parts of my masculinity that I feel slipping away. So every once in a while, she'll oh, she'll ask really? me to do something, and I'll say, "I do what I want." Lucky for you, what I want is to please you, so I'll I'll do that. But oh. <laughs> it's a little intermediate step. <laughs> <laughs> so you already you use the word slipping away. Yeah. <laughs> I can feel it. It's palpable. Oh, slipping away. What do we do about that, Jeff? Away. Well, what you need to do is my three-part program, uh, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, but. Well, if part one, what would part one be? Oh, start. Go three okay. to one. Okay. Part three. <coughs> We're backwards. I realize you're winging it here. I told you, don't move. <laughs> okay, that's, that's part, part three. three. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, part two is, that's right. Stay right there in the kitchen. That's part two. You're, this is a is promising. This the <laughs> part one is, hey, get in here. You got that, Dave? And this was three steps to a quick annulment? Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you Dave. able to get annulled yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You guys are to, well, here's a, here's a fun <laughs> little story for a side. We may not actually be married. I'm pretty sure that we are. Todd was there and really? the Lord was there, so I think it all counts. But we didn't have the witnesses sign. Uh, Rachel Redarmel was supposed to be one of the witnesses, and she didn't sign until we got back from the honeymoon, which was two weeks later. And I don't, are they supposed to send you the certificate, or do you have to go to the courthouse and get a copy of it? Like, we sent it back, but I haven't actually received something that says... You couldn't go to the courthouse and 
and request your. But is that like an extra step, or do they send it to you automatically? What if you're not technically married? I've seen that I've been living in so much sin, you guys. Oh my See? gosh! Well, that's, a, that's okay. An interesting a, thing. From what this, what the state, the state perspective, but under God. Yeah, no, not that, not that. That's totally. That's, so when you say sin, I, actually, oh, we could we could probably do a whole podcast on on marriage and like what people think the Bible teaches about marriage mm. and what what it actually doesn't teach, uh, which is a lot. But that's an interesting that, thing. Yeah. How many how many people um, associate being married in the eyes of the state with being married in the eyes of God or actually being married? I feel like that's right. what, where a lot of Christians are at. Well, on the flip side, we have friends who have done the courthouse ceremony months before they did the ceremony with their family. So they got the piece of paper from the courthouse and then, you know, started living together and did a marriage however long after the fact. But so I think I'm, I'm satisfied that the Lord is happy and our friends and family were there and it was a good time, but yeah, I'm it would be, it would be nice to uh, get that piece of paper just to be sure. Yeah, it is nice, but the state's overrated. Yeah. They're bankrupt anyway. So moving on, I would, I feel like we glossed o- over what a great three-part plan that was. Okay, so <laughs> all right, so we can go back, and so it starts with, "Hey, get in here." No, that that was okay. That's that note, seek take. And okay, two was stay here. Hey, no, 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 <laughs> get in the kitchen. Is number two. Forgive me, everyone. Forgive me. And number three is, what did I say? S- stay I here. I told you not to move. <laughs> sure. I yeah. told you not to move. <laughs> oh man. You don't have to say forgive me. People can't tell you're joking. <laughs> the people we got to worry about making sure they know we're joking is Scott, who's mm. not here right now. No, we are in mourning. You know, I actually have I have a message he sent to us. From the grave. Yeah. He couldn't be here tonight. Scott's missing you, Dave. Have you met Scott? I don't think I've met Scott. Uh, he's been at the church a couple times, but uh, you guys want to hear the message? Let's hear it. Okay, hear it. sounds good. Hey, Brawlers, Babbles, and Beer fans and newcomers. I wanted to be there tonight, but I can't. I have to prepare for my young adults study tomorrow night where I will be teaching about the gospel, the good news about God's wrath and what you can do to not drink of that cup. So I hope you enjoy it. should be good. Like, uh, forward, send out, do whatever you have to do, but let people know about the Bros Bibles Beer Podcast and be a part of our community on Twitter, on Facebook, on the webs. Wow. All right. See you next time. From the grave, Scott Halbert. He sounds so much better when he's voxing than when he's here live. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. <laughs> Forgive me. That's two forgives in one podcast. I yeah. almost broke my record. He's learning to embrace. He's uh, he's pretty conservative, and so when he talks about the wrath stuff, he's joking because we uh, we play it up a little bit. But <laughs> but he's. Uh, He's definitely the uh, got a background in judgment and <laughs> like in in times specializing uh, in times you know wrath being the destruction of most things that I'm trying to I don't know where you're at and wherever you're at is fine but uh, 
I'm not where he's at, so we have many awesome conversations uh, regarding that. So he's kind of embracing that in a jovial way. Yeah, it, judgment always comes up. Anytime I'm talking with him, I bring something up, and he's like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here it says, you know, you will be I judged. Know. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we come. I'm, I'm going down. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever there's a positive, when he mentions something, or you're talking about love in general, he just wants to keep it balanced. He makes sure what's on the other side of that potentially. Um, and that's one of the ways we love him, or one of the reasons we love him. <laughs> Dave Bullock here, and your family. Um, how's your father-in-law, Dave? <laughs> my <laughs> my father-in-law's great. Right around the corner, he can probably hear us. He actually lives literally across the street. If he's sitting in his backyard right now, he'll that's be- awesome. I'm almost I've almost hit him a couple times in the morning when he's out for a run. Like because you were annoyed with him, or no, just in my truck, just not paying attention. Same question, like because you were annoyed with him. Or? Uh, it's probably no. He, I was probably didn't see him actually. I was probably texting, you maybe know, watching YouTube or something. Okay, you know, I want to point something out that Dave was pointing out geographics. Like, nope, no, he's fine. He lives over there. When you start pointing out geographic like locations, <laughs> you're really deflecting from you know the deeper wound that might be. <laughs> There's no wound. <clears throat> There's All right. No, no you I actually have the best father-in-law you, in the world. You do world. have the best father-in-law. Cameron is I was amazing. dating I was dating Cameron before I was dating Jillian. Cameron Cameron weighed firm handshakes. That would be the first thing that comes to my mind. That well that was his nickname in high school. <laughs> firm that was for a different weighed. reason. Firm <laughs> or, I don't know. What? Uh you know what? <laughs> Can uh, we just start calling him that? <laughs> nobody just tell him. F H S. Cameron is one of the first people that I actually had a um, decent conversation with, and I did tech booth with him when I was at the church for probably the first three or four months, and I'm like, man, this guy is so happy. He's just like, I don't know what it is. He's on fire for life, and every time I see him, I'm just like, there he is. I get it. I get it. I'm getting a return smile. I just, hey, yeah. Cameron. And he's just like, Jeff. I think I can speak mm. for him. It's just a little bit of cocaine on the cereal. <laughs> just a little bit. I, mean, I think he Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. <laughs> We're literal. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Scott would be coming in doing disclaimers. <laughs> yeah. So, Dave, you you run a ministry at Mountain View Church called Refuge. Um, which is a special needs focused ministry. But before we get to that, how about a little background on you? I know you grew up Mormon. I did. That's a whole nother podcast. Hard. Oh my I, gosh. I know that's a long one. I totally that's forgot. a whole series. I'm of so pods. sorry. I just wasted 20 minutes of our time. You should have written Mormon on your napkin that you wrote at Starbucks getting <laughs> ready for this podcast. <laughs> I put I put childhood dreams superhero childhood. <laughs> we'll get there. It was only a matter of time before I said something overtly Mormon and reminded you. So when did you when did you not become Mormon? Become it, unMormon? Yeah, it was a process. I I probably stopped going to Mormon church regularly. Um, Sixteen or seventeen years old. Uh, my family had moved from Baltimore to Salt Lake City. Um, and honestly, that was kind of the last straw. I was fine being kind of socially and culturally Mormon. When you grow up in the East Coast in Maryland, I was the only Mormon that I knew. Wow. Um, so there wasn't a lot of overt social pressure 
to kind of do the Mormon thing. Um, and I had two older brothers that weren't overtly Mormon, so there was never a lot of family pressure to, you know, go on a mission or go to BYU or any of the overt Mormon pressures. Um, but then when we moved to Salt Lake City, my brothers stayed on the East Coast, and I was the oldest in the family and, you know, was 14 years old and just going into high school. And then there was tons of overt social pressure to really do the Mormon thing and buy into the whole deal. And Are there high school, are there Mormon high schools? Or is it by default you're in Salt Lake City? Well, most may, people. I mean, to be more specific, we were in a suburb north of Salt Lake City. So Salt Lake City proper downtown area is only about 50% Mormon. In all of the suburbs, you're, you know, above 80 or 90%. Um, so there weren't specifically like church run high schools, but the majority of your classmates were going to be right. LDS. So, um, so yeah, the, the I, uh, I felt weird before I knew why I felt weird, which is kind of a, a strange way to describe it. Um, but I always felt like there was a whole lot of attention and focus on image and posturing and things that just didn't really feel like they had a lot of substance. Um, and I couldn't ever put my finger on it until I started going to Young Life activities. Young Life is a non-denominational ministry for high school kids. Um, and even though my parents were Mormon, they let us they let my brothers host these Young Life events in the house. So we always had these kind of Christian youth groups um, in the house playing games and singing songs and doing all that crazy stuff. So I had exposure to Young Life um, and then started going to the summer camps and uh, just being a part of the Young Life ministry in Salt Lake City and was just kind of exposed to a different picture of Jesus than I thought I knew. You know, I knew the the Book of Mormon front and back, but, you know, starting to read the Bible and and go into a different church than I'd been exposed to, started to realize that the picture of Jesus that I had uh, wasn't as biblical so as you one had, would hope for. So you actually had, I'm trying to picture Christianity in Utah, and I'm like, how does that even exist? Uh, I have friends that went to uh, the university there and um, and live in Salt Lake in the suburbs, and I'm literally, I mean, she's like, if you walk down, if you going, if you're going in the direction of um, a home that's non-Mormon, you're going in the wrong direction. <clears throat> and if you keep walking, you, you might as well stay down there. So when you talk about overt pressure, I mean, this came from their family, their parents. And I thought <laughs> that's, that's horrible. And actually she was speaking of, friends of hers and how because she hadn't she had grown up in uh, Boise Idaho and then had gone there uh, and they're not they're not Mormon they're Greek Greek Orthodox so it was like hearing the stories like my goodness that's that sounds like slavery or I mean it's it's not I mean I understand um, you know the uh, I've been around a lot of people that were Mormon I had a Mormon girlfriend in high school my my uh my niece just married um, a Mormon. Well, he's kind of, he's not Mormon anymore. And, uh, but being around the Mormon, his Mormon family, it was, I, I got a vibe that was very different from that of when I'm, let's say at Mountain View, just hanging around or even at a wedding, a Christian um, family's wedding. Um, there just seems to be a lot of acceptance. Whereas I was walked away from when, oh, you're that side of the, uh, you're not on my son's 
side or you're with, you know, it was my niece. And once he found that out, he just walked away from me. Like it was the father of the, the groom. And I thought, wow, what is going on? Yeah. Um, didn't he want to strike up a conversation? And I really didn't know what to do. So is that some of the, I guess, did it seem, uh, did it seem divisive? Um, well, I think as with a lot of things, when there's an overt kind of social pressure, there develops kind of a, a counterculture and a reaction to that. So that you saw a lot in, in high school situations where you, the majority of people are Mormon. And then there's a very strong reaction to that with kids who party twice as hard as anything you could imagine because they want to run so far in the opposite direction. Um, so there's definitely that division. And then I think, you know, kind of to circle back to what your original question was that the Christian church in Utah kind of pops up as a reaction to the reaction because so many people, if you start to discover things that just don't feel right or that you can't reconcile with what you've heard or read in Mormon doctrine and you, you get a little glimpse of Jesus and you just can't make all these things fit in the same picture together, there's a, there's a tendency to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater and you just leave faith entirely because you feel like I've been lied to for so long. I'm not going to trust anything Jesus again. So then there's that reaction totally to the opposite end of the spectrum. And the, the way that that manifests with being someone who's kind of left the Mormon church, you know, I have a large family. My dad's the oldest of 11. So I have, you know, 75 first cousins and just my 11. brothers and okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, and we're the only ones that didn't, that didn't go on missions. So the, the tendency and the, the easy thing to assume for the people who've stayed in the Mormon church is that, Oh yeah, the, the Bullock boys, you know, Dave and Ben and Matt just left because they didn't want to follow the rules and they wanted to be drinking and doing drugs and having premarital sex. So there is kind of a, in their defense, that was part of it, but it was a smaller part, I'm sure, than they thought. Well, right? it was never all three things at the same time. Oh, okay. You have to pace yourself. <laughs> yeah, you <know>. of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a long weekend. It is a long weekend. What didn't fit for you when you looked at things? You moved, You can't, You can't. your family moves and comes into Salt Lake. So at what point are you thinking, this doesn't fit my life? This doesn't make sense. Well, it was never a life that I was looking forward to, you know, I never had okay. any excitement about going on a mission for two years and doing the Mormon happy Valley thing. Um, but there was a, a very key moment that I remember that things just kind of clicked and I realized there's a problem between, you know, what the Bible is telling me and what I've been told to believe and told was in the Bible. And I was at a young life camp and I was totally on board with everything that the speaker had been talking about all week um, and then in one of his messages, he started talking about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And this seems so silly, but he was really making a, a point about how the cross was the actual physical location where that sin payment took place. And we went back to cabin time and we were all sitting around in a circle. And I had taken my Book of Mormon to Young Life Camp thinking, all oh, these Christians are so cute. They just haven't read the sequel. You know, so I, I thought I was going to convert nice. all of my Mormon friends by just giving them this other testament of Jesus Christ. I thought that we all had the Bible in common. I just knew more than they did. So there wow. was this subtle sense of arrogance. That's really interesting. And then I just got wrecked when this guy says that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And I'm sitting in cabin time and I put up my hand and I said, well, that's all well and fine, but 
don't you guys know that Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins? The actual place where he paid for our sins was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And my leader looked at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, don't you know that? Everybody knows that. That's (laughs) what it says in the Bible, that the actual location where Jesus paid for the sins of the world was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he bled from every poor and, you know, all this stuff that's like the foundation of Mormon theology that the sin, it seems so silly and arbitrary what the location was, but it also explains why Mormons don't believe in the cross symbolism. Mormons don't wear cross necklaces. They, you know, to them, the cross is just another way than another guy died. It's just a method of execution. Um, And it seems silly, but when you realize the theology that underpins that, that they think that, you know, it wasn't sweating blood which we all think and believe actually happened. And that's a medical thing that you can verify. You can be under so much stress that you sweat blood, but that's a far cry than to say that the Bible tells us that Jesus bled from every poor. No, the Bible does not tell us that Jesus bled from every poor. But when my leader kind of confronted me with that and said, Dave, like we love you, but what are you talking about? Show us where it says that. And I got all hoity and said, I I will show you where it says that. And then, just the realization that like I tore through the gospels and then I tore through the whole new Testament trying to find out where it says that Jesus bled from every poor and where it talks about the garden of Gethsemane being that the physical location where that sin payment took place. And I just couldn't find it. So it kind of burst my bubble and I realized, well, what else have I believed to be true because someone told me it was in there and it may or may not actually be in there, you know? So I think that was a, a defining moment where I realized I don't fit this story Same doesn't make wrong. sense to me it's, you know and it, and it wasn't an immediate thing it was part of a transition process where I was inclined to throw the baby out with the bathwater for the first year after that because I just felt said, don't lied throw to. baby Jesus out with the with the with doubt, doubt bathwater bath with the doubt <laughs> bathwater yeah that, that makes sense so yeah it didn't uh didn't happen right away and then I kind of became an expert in in learning everything that was wrong with the Mormon church instead of everything that was right and true about Jesus so I became really great at kind of taking chips out of people's faith and did a lot of damage in family relationships and yeah that was my next question is about your family um when you left, was there an announcement or is it just kind of something they knew? I kind of just started happening? going to a different church and and whenever conversations would come up, would take the opportunity to tell them how stupid and wrong they were for what they believed. And it's not hard to just lob stones at them and say, well, this is inconsistent in your theology and how can you believe this when the Bible says this? And I just got really great at tearing people down and another kind of conflicting defining moment um, after not a productive conversation at all with my mom where I had just gotten her to agree to whatever I was trying to get her to agree to. Like I had just destroyed her and she was just at a, a complete point of submission. Like, fine, if I'm willing to throw all of that out and concede that it's all a fraud and that I've been duped for the better part of my adult life, what have you got for me? What have you got for me that's better? And me in my arrogant 18 year old shoes didn't have a great answer and it's been 13 years and I haven't had a great opportunity since then to revisit that question. So, wow. Isn't that it? I find it interesting and I'm thinking Scott and I go back and forth, have great discussions and 
a lot of it involves what makes sense logically. And it's interesting how people come to decisions when it comes to how they're living their life. It's almost never like you you could give somebody Jeff Pearson's point three point plan to a better marriage and unless they're in a space where that's gonna make sense emotionally as much as logically, they're not gonna they're not gonna come on board with your plan. Um, especially since your plan is bullshit. Well, in Warren Jeff's commune <laughs> in you know in uh, Utah, I don't know if anybody look up Warren Jeff's. That would work. It might, yeah. So the the point is, I think he's in Arizona now. Actually, it was like the border. You town didn't let Jeff U- finish. Utah, he was about to say he's in Arizona right now, right, Jeff? <laughs> okay, move on. If you're going to insult my relatives, at least <laughs> be geographically accurate. My wife and I went there to Warren Jeff's castle. It's like, <laughs> wow. whoa, wow. This is, and we got we got followed by a patrolman for, I guess their commune or whatever it was. It was it was pretty crazy, but we saw it on like ABC or CBS. Like they did a special on Warren Jeffs, the like Mormon cult they were calling it. I, I don't even know, but we went there and it was like, oh my gosh, I just went back a hundred years and I'm looking at Little House on the Prairie. There's like 40 kids just pulling red wagons with little with more kids than them across the, <laughs> the prairie land. <laughs> like what is going on here? And we're like, Let, let's get out of here. And then we stopped at the we thought it was like a liquor store, but it was kind of a convenience store that I'm like, oh my God, Tanya, I'm like, don't get out of the car. Cause she had like a, a halter top on and everybody had it. Like we are, I think if we get out of the car, we're going to be like taken or something. Stay for dinner guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff and Tanya, yeah. why don't you guys come for dinner? It was so surreal. And I, I get, it, it's, uh, this is a bad tangent, but c- can I, can I ask a follow-up question uh, of Dave, Zach, since you're the leader of our clan? Am I? <laughs> well, real quick, real quick. Uh, yeah, you can. Don't forget. Um, okay. But real quick, my problem with apologetics and like just strictly arguments, and there's a good place and there's a place for that, but if it's not connected to, like if you don't know the person and you're not engaged in a a relationship or um, you're not loving them appropriately it's just it's just going to build more defenses against it so i guess what i'm saying is dave had said how you you had all the arguments against it i I just made me think about how how people actually come to a place like how you actually came to a place was probably you said you, you didn't know you knew but you didn't know how it was probably building until you were you were hit um so it's not it's not always the facts it's there's also an emotional component to how why people make decisions is my point and that was a tough run on sentence well you brought up the idea just the relational aspect of it and even mentioning i mean i just do it jokingly the warren jeffs thing and seeing this kind of cult out in the middle of um you know arizona slash utah on the border there and 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 not really poking fun, but just kind of like, well, it's kind of Hollywoodish. Uh, we're here, and they had, you know, this special on these people, and and they're kind of a crazy cult. Um, but really, I'm a little loose with my my words because they're people, and I don't have a relationship with them, and they are doing what they know, like you, Dave. When you're you're like, well, you know. It, 
Jesus didn't die here on the cross. You know, it was it was somewhere else. And all of a sudden you start getting this knowledge of an, a new a reality and and truth. Um, almost like the wool had been pulled over your eyes for a long time. And now you're encountering people who are wanting a relationship with you. Hey, we love you. Tell us what is going on. Um, and so that relational aspect changes everything. The fact that that didn't destroy you when you realize, like, <laughs> oh, no, this my whole life has been kind of based on something I didn't know it was. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, it certainly tried to destroy me. It's not... I had struggled so much with identity anyway in those high school years with kind of a traumatic last-minute move two weeks before high school starts to the other side mm-hmm. of the country where you don't know anybody, and then to have kind of the faith of your your family kind of pulled out from under you and you're just kind of grasping at straws. So So I did kind of gravitate towards the crowd that's accepting, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum. What happened in those, what happened in that time where you kind of hit this point where it's reality that you knew might not be real? It was a rough 12 to 18 months. The camp that I had gone to, um, that it kind of started to change things, um, was a camp that I'd gone to with Maryland friends. So I had already moved to Utah and went to a summer camp with friends from Maryland, which was a cool experience. But then at the end of the week, everybody's close and tight and go home together to live out the rest of their lives together. And I fly back to Utah. So that was entirely counterproductive because it just shattered my foundation. And then I had no community or support structure. Good luck. Yeah. So that was sweet. Um, but by that point I knew that I just kind of felt like young life was the, the life preserver, you know, out in the midst of the ocean. So I actually got back to Utah and probably once a month I was online on the Young Life website, just hoping and praying for a life preserver. And then one day, um, it was probably about a year later, um, and I'd been partying pretty good and had just found community with the only people who will accept you, and those are the people who will take anybody as long as you, you know, can contribute to the as long as you're drinking party supplies, yeah. you know. Um, but then I just one one day a, a phone number popped up online and said Young Life Salt Lake City Sam Beg and just had a guy's phone number so I called him and I said hey are you a Young Life guy and he said well yeah but how do you have my phone number I just he had just moved from Germany that oh my week gosh. and didn't even know that Young Life had put his phone number online and you're just clicking refresh 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 <laughs> so as soon as it pops literally up. as soon as it pops In up Jesus name hello so but I mean it gets crazier than that so he. I met with him the next day and another guy named Dave Myers. So Sam and Dave had met at church at the same church. Sam was on Young Life staff in Germany. Dave was on Young Life staff in Ohio. They both independently, they didn't know each other. They both just kind of felt a call to start a Young Life ministry in Salt Lake City and moved about the same time and met each other at church and kind of, what are you doing here? I'm here to start a Young Life ministry. What are you doing here? I'm here to start a Young Life ministry. And, you know, it was in this, the, the span of a couple of weeks that I connected with Sam and That's said, crazy. I, I'm desperate to be part of a Young Life ministry. And he said, well, me and this other guy are trying to start one, but we don't have anybody 
who plays music. You don't play guitar, do you? So I'm a pissed off, angry 15 year old kid, super mad at Jesus, but I know I like young life and I like music and I'm writing a whole bunch of sad songs trying to find a girlfriend and (laughs) I'll be your music guy. So we started the first Young Life Club in Salt Lake City. That's so So. amazing. And then last year, not two years ago actually, when we took uh, Capernaum Kids to Young Life Camp, I walked into a room and literally physically bumped into Sam Bag, no. my Young Life leader, that I hadn't seen in a decade. Oh, my god! And he was there with Young Life, Utah-wide Young Life. That, so I went to camp with Young Life after you know, I met Sam and Dave, and then we went to camp that summer. It's the first um, first time that Utah Young Life ever took anybody to camp, and there were probably seven or eight kids that we took that first summer. And two years ago when I ran into Sam, they had like 140 kids from Utah that they'd taken to camp oh that summer. Oh, my goodness. So... Amen. A lot happens I, in a decade. I, I, I totally, that is like, I always think of this stuff when it happens, stuff like that. You bump into this guy and it's like God's confirmation. You're right where you're supposed to be. That's so good. I love, I love stories so like there's, that. There's a lot more that fits into that 10 years that I didn't <laughs> see them after I left Utah and right. lived in four different states and right. all over the place. Let's get to the ministry. Yeah. Because that's the awesomeness of... There's nothing more in your napkin? Are we past that? <laughs> I heard something about <clears throat> superheroes. And yeah, if you could be a superhero for the rest <laughs> nice. of your life, who would you be? <laughs> Actually, I, I had somebody, I talked to somebody today, and um, I mean, we can we can do superheroes for the rest of your life, but they said, what what biblical person do you most relate with? This... Uh, I mean, this might seem like a cop out, but I've actually started to. Jesus is the wrong answer. <laughs> Jesus is always the right answer. What are you talking about? Oh um, uh, yeah, you didn't. Yeah, I, I I kind of think King David in the last few months, especially, I felt uh, nice a, a little bit of a sense of the uh, David and Goliath dynamic with. Oh, I love that. With what we're trying to do with the disability ministry and just kind of trying to awaken. So not. Not the whole rape thing. Not as much. Before, okay, so more the inspirational, not seeing a woman bathing and Bad taking her for your... I mean, I don't, want to say, I don't want to say no rape, but not... <laughs> <laughs> These are parts we added out. Right? <laughs> oh, sorry, well, that's Dave. that's up to you. I'll leave it in until you tell me not to. I hope I that was a French word, rape. No, I don't know. I mean, the whole story of 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 David and the relationship that he has and just him as a hardly perfect person and just how the Lord continues to choose people that are pretty broken and have not the best track records. And there seems to be a pattern. Yeah. yeah. You're sitting next to one. <laughs> yeah. why'd, why'd you look at me? <laughs> You're all put together. I was the super, super duper broken one. Yeah, you're right. Keep believing that. Thank you. No issues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so King David. King David. How about you, Zach? I'm not prepared for this. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and go with um, King David. <laughs> he also, I mean, he wrote all the Psalms. He's a worship leader. Come on. It's pretty cool. Excellent. Uh, any child, when you were a child... What were your dreams? So I'm going to tell you, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional golfer. Like, that was, I wanted to be a professional golfer, and I wanted to 
to uh, design and build golf courses. Uh, that was my dream. So what was yours, Dave? Um, I was asked this question very directly in second grade. It was like, choose your own name day. And we all got a name tag and it said like, if you could choose any name, what would it be? And if you could have any job in the world, what would it be? And the first part was sad. I just wanted my name to be Dave because everybody called me David and I couldn't freaking get anybody to call me Dave. And I thought it just sounded so much cooler. So on choose your name day, you can be anything in the world. I was like, will you just call me Dave, please? Will you you please just call me Dave? Uh, and then for my, if you could be anything in the world, I wrote down rock star and was so surprised by that in second, third grade because I really didn't have any desire to be a rock star. I think I just wanted the girlfriend that comes along with wow, being a you rock were thinking star. about you were so progressive in second grade. You're thinking about that. I was on He's my already th- thinking about tail. I was on my third <laughs> girlfriend in second grade. <laughs> wow. Yeah, <clears throat> I was moving through that. Elementary school. (laughs) (laughs) This is starting to remind me of, I think it was, was it fourth, fourth grade, third grade? I'm not exactly sure. It could have been second. Uh, Let's just go for first. We had a reading hut, like a little reading building, and I asked uh, one of the girls, come on in here, and I I kissed her. I I, don't even. I don't know what was going on with me. I will, I'll edit this story for family audience but oh she can't hear she's inside she can't hear it all this is even worse i think that this was actually i hesitate (laughs) to say that it was kindergarten but i remember my first grade teacher and i'm pretty sure that i did this in kindergarten we had like a a boys no we didn't even have a boys but this is why i was drum roll please (laughs) we had just one bathroom okay and it was like a transgender they were so progressive (laughs) they were they were ahead of their time wow miles before their time but you had to like if you go in the bathroom there's a little hanger thing on the door and you have to turn the stoplight yes so you turn it to red if you're in there and then you turn it to green oh if you want people to come in (laughs) and i won't say her name but bless her heart i had convinced her that like if I just go in there and then hang out for a minute and then open the door and like reach my arm out and turn it around to green, then you're totally fine. And then you can come in. Is my wife listening to this? She is listening to this. <laughs> She's a, he cheated on you in kindergarten. <laughs> I don't know why in my mind that was perfectly planned. That is perfectly planned. That was perfectly planned. planned, but there are like 12 kids in the classroom. So if one gets up and goes to the bathroom, it's not like the teacher doesn't realize that, you know, one twelfth of the classroom is missing. So I did my thing and then reached my arm out and put the thing back. But then when Megan, last name, we won't say her last name. You just did. I just did. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Bleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. We, it didn't. Uh, execution left something to be desired we did got in, we got in some trouble for that did did you like cross like crowns or something like hit your crowns green and blue crowns together no she didn't even make it to the bathroom oh, it was gosh. it was pretty obvious that i was trying to pull a fast one uh, well how did we get there i don't so know smooth. who cares that was awesome. <laughs> that's a good pod so why don't you uh why don't you go into refuge what is refuge Refuge is our disability ministry at Mountain View Church, and we're changing the name. Oh, really? Well, when we first started, I I was calling us the Refuge Special Friends and Family Ministry. 
probably remember that. And at the time, I thought that that was good and that I was being sensitive with the language. And in kind of the disability community, they talk a lot about the person-first language. And language is important, and you want to not focus on the disability. You want to focus on the person. So instead of saying a disabled person, you would say a person with a disability. Or instead of my special friend, you'd say my friend with special You know what I mean? Right. So it was just kind of a, a focus on, or at least at the time, thinking that you know we needed to be careful with the language. And in calling our group the special friends and family ministry, I thought that the emphasis would be on the relationships that we were trying to have as opposed to the needs that we were trying to accommodate. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's just been a little bit of an evolution in my thought process. And I was at a conference a few weeks ago, um, where we were, the, one what was the, the name of the conference? It was a disability ministry conference, um, sponsored by young life, um, and put on by Johnny and friends and some other people. Actually, it, it was a cool experience because when we did this conference last year, there were 60 participants and a year later there were 220. So we more than tripled the attendance in a year with just the people in Southern California who were trying to build these types of programs at their churches. Wow. So, um, but one of the, one of the keynote speakers talked specifically about, um, the language that we use and, um, talked a lot about just the term special friends. And it was, it was kind of convicting because I thought that we were moving in the right direction, but after kind of the, the keynote started to reevaluate some things. Um, and one of the things that you notice I think I was fearful of using the word disability at all because I think it has a bad connotation and I, I was worried about the reaction from people who would say, well, you're not supposed to say that. And there's so much pressure to always stay one step ahead of like the politically correct police. Right. You know? And you know, 10 years ago, it's it wasn't bad to say retarded and now that's the worst thing that you could possibly say. You know, I have a question about that. Okay, but keep going. It on me. Well, I want to know your question because it might help me. Structure um, my well, because growing up, that was used all the time with with me and the boys. You know, just calling calling each other retarded, and so basically eliminating it from my vocabulary. Um, and then it sl- it slipped a couple times a while back at church in front of a mutual friend that has um. A special needs boy and uh, instantly i i realized it in my head i'm like oh shit i just said that and then after church one day she's she basically she said her husband's the slowest person in the family so she's joking like that <laughs> and i'm like which which is it um so do you think are are most people pretty careful, like especially the parents, or or do you find some parents don't care if they hear somebody, an idiot like me, slipping up? Yeah, I mean it depends, and you can kind of tell like the level of woundedness of the family, or a little bit about their experience based on how they respond to people who maybe just say the wrong thing, and a lot of times it's just unintentional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a difference between like a a slip up or you know, really being disparaging. Um, but I think a lot of times the families that have like a, like a violent reaction to it or the people who will go out of their way to correct you if you didn't use person-first language, if you didn't say, you know, friend with a disability. Or that's what I was it. worried about, but it turned out she cared even less than I did. Yeah, well, and I think that's, that's uh, 
that's a great indicator that that family has had a positive experience with their faith community. So that's a tremendous that blessing makes and, sense. and not the experience of most of our families. So, and they probably make you f- feel comfortable. I mean, if they're secure with it, they, they want to connect with people and I mean, they, I mean people are trying to be politically correct in our society. And sometimes people can get cynical about it, but when you have someone who, you know, might have uh, a child or an adult child that they're taking care of, um, and they have a healthy way of looking about it, like, hey, we're charging through life, and uh, nothing's going to stop us. And they come across people who might say the wrong thing as in terms of, like, PC correctness. Um, they're like, hey. And so I'm just like, don't worry about it. I mean, we're, yeah, we've been... <laughs> We've been living this life for a long time. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but when you say health, um, it's it's probably refreshing. Um, although certainly the people who are disparaging um, and doing it in a vindictive way and going out of their way, it's uh, it's too bad. Yeah, um, most people probably aren't though. No, they're just ignorant. And well, I think most they're just z- a bunch of Zacks running around. But that's an important point that most people want to be sensitive. There's a lot of fear that pervades engaging with this whole culture, and that's kind of one of the things that we're trying to do with this next season of Refuge as we kind of relaunch and kind of redefine our focus, which is really like long-term integration. We've got. 30 kids that come to refuge on Wednesday nights, but we don't have 30 families that come to Mountain View on Sunday, which means there's still a lot that we can do to kind of build that infrastructure and just make Mountain View a church that's irresistible for those families. And I think part of that is, is being intentional with how we, how we prepare the body at Mountain View for that. Cause people do want to be sensitive, but it's, I mean, how many people don't engage with Megan or Bailey or Mark because they don't know the right thing to say and they don't want to be offensive, but like there's a 50% chance that I'll say something boneheaded and like hurt your feelings or I won't use the most recent updated terminology. Acceptable so vernacular. Yeah. So you just don't engage at all. So I think kind of part of the focus of rebranding and calling ourselves the refuge disability ministry, part of it was just for clarity. It's, it's less cumbersome. It's, it gets right to the point, you know what we're talking about when we say that. But also, we're kind of trying to take back that word. a little more direct. Yeah, but we're trying to take back disability and say this isn't a scary thing and we're not disparaging our friends when we're talking about disability. It's a contextual thing. So think about our friend Mark Fitzpatrick. Like, in the context of a classroom environment, Mark is disabled. But in the context of camping with his dad, like, give me the checklist of things that kids are supposed to do when camping with their dad. And Mark nails every single one of those things. Seriously. So if he's disabled in school, but he's not disabled on a camping trip, then the the power that we assign to that word is relative and says a lot more about the social constructs that we've created that make some things accessible for Mark and some things totally inaccessible for Mark. But if we acknowledge that and we say that, like, what we're trying to accomplish with the disability ministry is, like, we're building social ramps, like in the same way that kids in wheelchairs need a physical ramp for access. Some of these guys need social ramps, you know? So if we can kind of take that word back and be more direct and let people know what we're doing and also kind of open up that conversation to say that like, we're not, we're not scared of the language. We're trying to be sensitive and we think this is 
you know, a clear way to communicate, you know, what our values and visions are. You know, if it's going to, if it's going to grow somewhere, uh, Mountain View is definitely the place I got in a conversation with somebody on Sunday and, um, and Mark, who you speak of, um, is great. I mean, just, he, he, he shouts out his favorite team. Um, and it could be in the middle of prayer or worship or whatever. I mean, it's awesome. And, but it's, it's not just his favorite team. It's also <laughs> ducks suck. <laughs> sometimes it's Kings one. It's whoever. Sometimes it's ducks suck. And sometimes it's the reverse. He's a fair weather friend. But, for sure. but somebody marks like the, the great poster child for our, is this okay to, to have? Oh yeah. If, great poster child for our church in that, how much love is coursing through Mountain View and how present God is. Someone on Sunday, uh, Mark just screams something out and I don't know, we were in the cafe or something and and I was like, hey Mark, and I just walked out. I got to be careful if I, I, I <laughs> decide to go back one time, I kind of like, I always saw him kind of doing his thing and he'd yell out and then I saw him and he was just standing. It was in the middle of like Tuesday night worship and he was just standing right next to me and I decided, hey, and I hugged him and uh, that was a, that was interesting. I'm like, okay, I'm learning something right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark now sees me <laughs> as uh, his world and I'm like, Okay, I love this guy, and I'm like, how I I was. It was really my first encounter. I mean, real encounter with someone who I knew, and who had a disability. And I'm like, okay, he's functioning in a way that I don't know. How, I don't know what to do. Should I continue to make eye contact with him or not? Or, I mean, uh, so I just stood and embraced and whatever he had to say. I just kind of got in a conversation with him. I don't know you know, where that was going, but it didn't really matter. But to go back to the person on Sunday who said, you know what, when, you know, it's great that people like Mark uh, could be at this church because I know people at other churches uh, that churches have tossed them out because they're too much of a disruption or it's like, I keep coming back to the same thing. What would Jesus do? And, and that's actually what I responded to her and she's like, exact, exactly. I'm like, and Mountain View is a great place. Um, it truly is a um, place for the wander and rest for the weary and for people to find home for everybody. And how, that, how much is Todd paying you guys? <laughs> you overseers go out to these podcasts and... <laughs> It's like, man, I love my church. <laughs> I got it. This I gotta, church is so good. So, I mean... It, so you're not answering the question. I don't know what the question was. How much you get paid? <laughs> so, um, I gotta. Uh, so I gotta say, deflection, <laughs> Dave. I can't. The only I, so as an overseer, we sat down and was like, okay, you guys, you got to get out to see what's going on at Refuge. And this is a long time ago, and it it was like because anytime anybody starting someone's like, get out there. There's people doing stuff. Go and see and pray and cover it and love it and embrace it. And, um, and I, I'm like one night I'm like, Tanya is my wife. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to refuge tonight. You want to want to go? And, and she's like, um, I, I got, you know, I don't know what she had going on, but 
I'm, like it's Dave. Well, I took a couple of the kids. kids. Maybe four kids. So so I take a couple of the kids, kids and we were all the way over on the side and there I mean it was awesome. It was life and just amazing energy and we uh, I'm sitting there and I'm um, just like, yeah, this is great. And then you came up and started singing and uh, and serenading and then got on a knee. I'm like, oh, my holy Jesus. He is going to propose right now. You're kidding me, God. This is this is the day that you sent me here to, to be and to see what's going on at Refuge? No way. And there you were getting on your knees, serenading, and singing with your now beautiful wife, um, and asking her- She was beautiful then too, though. <laughs> and asking her- I'm only beautiful now. To marry Not you. I th- I'm like, man, this courageous man is running this ministry. This is awesome. And uh, so I'm paid about a million dollars. No, I mean, this is- this is an it's an honor to see people like yourself do what you do and just love what you do. Um, so I'm gonna drop the mic now, and if you could just tell us more about. Well, I'm getting paid by Todd as well, <laughs> and the reason that, that wait, who is this voice? Mark, if she's gonna go ahead. Oh, oh, this is Jillian Bullock, wife to. Dave Bullock. Nice. All right, go on. Dave's <laughs> taking a potty break. Wife takes over. The, the the most amazing thing about how Mark, our poster child, you're right, for our ministry and for Mountain View as, you know, as a community that outreaches the way that we do is so crazy because it started in the youth church. It started by high school kids taking him in. High school kids. Like, yeah. you know, and, and back to the word um, saying retarded, you know, you know, we got to see 15, 16, 17 year olds who, you know, would throw that word around with their friends all the time. And then it took them meeting Mark and then just loving him. And they came to the decision on their own to stop saying it, you know, in front of their friends. And, and not only that, when a lot of them went to high school with Mark and they would stand up to They'd him. Defend like, him. They would defend him. Like kids would make fun of him at school and they wouldn't take it. They would like our Mountain View youth group kids would not have it. They still won't. Oh, they'll like they'll do anything for Mark. That is for darn sure. It's so beautiful. We all would. It's almost at- like you just have to know you have to know there's a person here. Right. If you're not familiar you're uncomfortable. I maybe it's an uncomfort thing where the kids are quick to well there's probably a lot of reasons but in terms of bullying or or making fun of once or using even using that word like you said Jillian when they got to know him it just shifted everything that you answered my question was really where where was refuge born out of I mean is that the did you say the thing about Mark and the youth crew that I love you so much? Yeah, I mean, it, is that awesome it? it? We have a guest room, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think you realize. Don't tempt me. <laughs> Nearly no, f- no, feel free to take refuge. <laughs> uh, 
No, so is that it's where funny refuge was? It's true. Is that where refuge was born? What did you What did you say? And then I'll tell you how it was born. You know, I was talking more about how Mark became the poster child of what we're doing okay. and of Mountain View as a whole. You know, but I mean, I would say refuge was born out of uh, Tesoro in general when you were there. Yeah. Um, Man, how do I consolidate my monologue? So I had gone to grad school in Europe, um, finished a political science degree at Cal Fullerton, and then was running away from life and my family and my parents' divorce and thought I was never going to come back to California. So I had a little bit of money that I blew the first month that I was in Europe, started singing on street corners and playing guitar and ended up just traveling around Europe for the better part of a year. I knew I recognized you. Were you in Denmark for a little bit? (laughs) I never made it to Denmark. Oh, maybe. Maybe um, you're twin. (laughs) Could be. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I was just doing my best to not come back to California, got an international law degree, and then couldn't find a job in Europe. A whole bunch of things happened at a weird time there was a international criminal tribunal for rwanda that had just closed down so the market got flooded with hundreds of people who had the exact same degree that i had but 10 years of experience actually working in a tribunal Mm. so my master plan to be an international relations expert and live in europe and you know give the middle finger to my family and my life in california didn't work out so well so i remember sitting on a train in amsterdam with the Lord telling me, you're going back to Mission Viejo. And I said, hell, I'm going back to Mission With Viejo. With a little humble pie. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm, you're smoking crack. And so um, fought against that and then just felt completely defeated when I found myself back here in Southern California. Um, took a temporary job working in special ed because um, I had some friends who were working in a, a special ed classroom at Tesoro. Um, and I thought I would just kind of pay the bills while I was out doing. So other you just interviews. had random friends that kind of connected you doing that. Yeah, friends that I had before I okay. before I went to grad school and then came back and was just looking for work while I was going on interviews, um, and just fell in love with the kids in the classroom. Mark was one of the students in that class. Oh, you were at Tesoro. I was at Tesoro, okay. and Mark was in my class. And uh, I remember. I mean, I I immediately knew that I loved the kids and that there was something there, but I was frustrated that I felt like I was wasting my time um, because the the public school system, I'm talking to a teacher, so perhaps you'll understand some of this, but the classroom that we were in was just so broken and so inefficient, and I really just felt like a glorified babysitter. Yeah, yeah. And I love okay. these kids so much, but we're spending six hours a day just running a daycare facility. Just biding our time And here. then I started to realize that the reason for that was because all of these programs in the public school system were designed for kids with Down syndrome. We don't have any kids with Down syndrome in our mm. classroom. You know, one or two, but the majority of the kids have are somewhere on the autism spectrum, and we don't have programs designed to actually help them in high school. So we're really just, you know, you play to the lowest common denominator, and we're just babysitting kids. So mm. it was frustrating to feel at the same time like I'm here for a reason, but I don't know what it is, and I it kind of reached ahead one day that I was changing a diaper and got piss all over me. This kid, we had a routine where he was, you know, I was supposed to sit him down on the toilet and wait for him to go, and he never would. He would always wait until I would stand him up, and then when I was putting his diaper on, he'd pee all over me. Ugh. And it was just, 
you know, this, this would just happen every day like clockwork. And I, like, he was so low functioning cognitively, but I was certain that he was doing this on purpose. Like, <laughs> I was like so pissed off. And one of these days I was just in a bad mood anyway. And like, it was just the last straw. And so when he peed on me and like, you know, stuff dripping out of his diaper and just this huge mess everywhere. And I just kind of threw up my hands and I was like, God, what the hell are we doing here? What is the point of this? I have a law degree and you've got me changing diapers. Like, how is this the best use of my time? And I don't proclaim to have ever heard the voice of the Lord, but this is the closest mm. that I've ever been. I just got wrecked with that verse, whatever you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me. Mm. And then just this overwhelming sense of, God being like, hey, man, what about all those times where you were covered in your own crap? If I had said, like, I'm God, I'm probably a little bit overqualified to be, like, down in the mud with you, cleaning you up. Like, where would you have been if I had just pieced out, like, when you were kind of helpless and in need? Right. Um, so that kind of just reframed <laughs> just the dynamics of the situation that I was in and realized um, a lot about the kind of relationship that the Lord wanted to have with me that I'd been running away from for years because I didn't feel like I was performing. I love when we're given standard. that kind of clarifying perspective from yeah. God. Well, cause I'd spent years, you know, we talked a little bit about my exposure to young life and then, you know, with kind of leaving the Mormon church and just struggling to figure out what my identity was, finding my identity in everything that's wrong with the Mormon church, not really, you know, building up a solid foundation with what was right about Jesus and then feeling so scared for so long that like, you know, unless I get all my crap together, unless I have like a, like a, a well put together picture to hand to Jesus, he's not going to want to have anything to do with me. So in the midst of my struggles and, you know, trying to figure out my life, I just didn't want anything to do with community or church or other Christians that would kind of call me on my crap, you know? Right. Um, so just kind of started to realize in that, in that public school environment with all these kids who, you know, the, the, the dynamic of my relationship with Mark didn't have anything to do with anything that I'd ever done in the past or anything that I could ever do for Mark. Like he loved me if I showed up, he loved me if I was willing to kind of just be vulnerable and in a relationship with him. And that was such a great model for kind of what the Lord wanted from my relationship with him. It wasn't based on performance. It was based on showing up and being vulnerable and authentic and just willing to like kind of get into it and do life together. Um, and then refuge kind of just sprouted out of that with just my relationship with Mark and realizing here's a kid with every advantage and opportunity comes from a very, affluent family, but Mark is going to turn 22 and he reaches what they call the autism cliff. Mm. He just gets to the end of the social services that his family's grown accustomed to. Right. And then the world just kind of looks at that family and says, good luck. You know? So that was just a terrifying realization to see you know, here's a kid with everything going for him and his family has no idea what's going to happen after 22. Mm -hmm. Um, so the Lord had kind of just, you know, reintroduced me into this set of circumstances and then found out that, Hey, Mark's a part of a social group on Wednesday nights. A bunch of the other teachers aides all go to this social group that they called high rollers. And so they invited me to go to high rollers with Mark. And as they're describing this group to me, 
I said, you know what? That sounds a lot like Young Life. That sounds a lot like this group that I used to do when I was in high school. And they said, it is Young Life. It's just Young Life for special needs kids. And we call it High Rollers here. So it's this whole full circle. Like for 10 years, I'd been praying for some way to get back involved in Young Life again because it was the only time in my life where I ever felt like I had some semblance of like being on the right track and then just running from the Lord and you know, escaping failed relationships for a decade and then finding myself back volunteering for a Young Life group because that was the group that Mark and Bailey went to. Um, so that was, you know, so I volunteered for Young Life as kind of the music guy for two years and then was kind of shocked to realize that Young Life was kind of struggling with the same thing that a lot of these other programs and services for these kids struggle with, which is, you know, we can't really do this forever. So Young Life reached a point where they said, we kind of want to focus on high school ministry and we'd like to have a way for our kids who are 22 and older to, I don't know, find a church community long-term and find a church who can kind of adopt this program and walk with these guys for the rest of their lives. So this is where you kind of stepped in. This is kind of where I stepped in, but it's just weird how it all happened because I had never been to Mountain View Church in my life. That was just Mark's home church. And I got a call from Brandon Brickley, who's the youth pastor, saying, hey, we're going on this houseboats trip and we need somebody to hang out with Mark. And we know you're friends with Mark, so do you want to come on houseboats? Um, and then we just, you know, there were a lot of conversations that happened in the weeks after that with, you know, Mountain View had agreed to take on the you know the creation of a disability ministry because young life wanted to find something for these kids who were 22 and older mountain view had agreed to do that but also had kind of acknowledged that we don't really know what it looks like to start <laughs> yeah. a disability ministry I re you know i remember this topic coming up and and they're hey there's this guy there's this guy dave there's this group and they want a home and yeah. we have no idea what's going to happen but let's see what happens and th and that is literally how it started it was I mean, it was September 1st when Todd and I were like, yeah, okay, I think we can, we can probably do this. And, you know, there's a lot more to that story, but kind of the general sense at the time of I'm going to rush in and save the day and establish some continuity for this program because it was just tragic that these families that had spent a decade with Young Life were now kind of getting shown the door, right. which is not at all what Young Life wanted to communicate to them. It was just kind of the dynamics of... The regional leadership at the time. Happened. It's just functionally what happened, but you had a lot of wounded families who felt like, you know, we built this ministry for the last decade and now you kind of kicked us out. Um, and I had relationships with a lot of those families. So it, the whole the whole start of Refuge was kind of just a sense of like, we're not going to let this disappear. I mean, if nothing else, we're going to all get in this together and figure out what the future looks like and and establish some sense of continuity for this program. And that was kind of where I, I, I don't know if I overcommitted, but I, I definitely was trying to communicate to anyone who would listen at the time that don't worry if we got this, it's not going to be a burden on anybody. You know what I mean? I thought, I thought that the only way I could get people interested in disability ministry was if it didn't cost you anything. And if it's not going to burden anybody and, if we can make it super sexy and don't worry, we've got all these great ideas for we're going to start businesses and we're going to put the kids to work and all this stuff. That's great long-term vision. But I think the thing that we've realized now being about two years into the program is you, know, you have to walk before you can run. And a lot of the things that we've been thinking about and spending a lot of time and energy on are kind of 
long-term social integration things. Right. And that's a natural part that will happen if we can integrate these kids into the church. I think right. maybe that's a good first place to start. And just acknowledging that, you know, our Wednesday night program is, is really going well. We've got, you know, 30, 40 families that come every week, but but we don't have 30, 40 families who come to Mountain View on Sundays. Right. So maybe before we start thinking about integrating these kids into the greater San Juan Capistrano area, let's let's try and nail integration with our church first because we know that's a receptive audience. We know this is where... You know, Mark and Bailey grew up, and the church is ready for it. They just need yes. We need to get over that fear together, and we need to have systems in place to you really kind of facilitate that integration in a way that's more than just Wednesday nights. We need to just have a a way that these guys feel a part of what we're doing. Okay, so you've got this going on Wednesdays. I mean, there's a great flow to it. I've seen it. I've actually showed up and kind of watched from afar from the, um, like the steps looking in on a Wednesday, if I was just stopping by and taking a peek and it's always, it's always like this great energy. Um, I guess my question just listening to you is so far, what have your greatest successes been and obstacles in doing this ministry? Um, I'll start with obstacles first. Communication and just coming to terms with how big a role fear has played in this. Um, I've been reading John Elder's Waking the Dead the last few weeks and just really coming to terms with how how real the, the battle is, the spiritual warfare that's going on and the war for your heart and just how tough it is to stay engaged in the battle and how easy it's been for me to just get fearful and scared and take everything upon myself and try and wear a thousand hats myself and get, you know, sad and scared and think I'm the only guy in Orange County who cares about disabled kids. And if if I'm not going to do it, nobody's going to do it. And I have to do it all myself. And, and just this lie that I believed that I, that I don't want to burden anybody with anything. So it's been, it's been, difficult to ask for help um, and just kind of building some of the sustainability and structure into the program long term um, that we need has been slower to develop because it's hard for me to ask for help because I think this is this is my baby I've got to do it we've got great leaders that come every week but we've got a great team of allies now we don't have a great team of leaders because I've been so fearful of you know when we first started our entire leadership team was the youth church leadership team that we adopted. It was right. Highlands kids that we adopted. It was people who were friends mm-hmm. with our kids anyway, who would come on Wednesday nights and continue to be friends and hang out. And there was a, a critical point where you need to give people a sense of ownership and indispensable roles and a part that they can play so they so they need to show up every week. You know what I mean? And right. I was so fearful. It was just the climate of you know, trying to start this thing as quickly as possible and make sure the kids have some place to go Wednesday night that I didn't want to, I didn't want to burn anybody out. I didn't want to be the straw that breaks the camel's back by asking somebody like, Hey man, I really need you here at six thirty so we can do a leader meeting and have that be the thing for somebody that was like, Oh, well I'm doing five other things. I can commit to be here sometimes, but once you're going to ask me to be a leader and all these expectations, you know what I mean? So was your fear like, you know what people, uh, I'm going to ask people and then they're going to be like, Oh, this is getting really serious. I'm going to back out. Oh, absolutely. And then if that's a, a, a ref- does that, 
reflect on how you feel about me? Is it because you don't really like me that you don't want to help out? Is it that like, how come I can't get anybody to love these kids as much as I, you know what I mean? There's a whole lot that's just crap that seeps in and keeps you quiet and disengaged. I mean, I, I think a lot about like, um, so, you know, Top Gun, Everybody knows the volleyball scene. Hey, good. I know me too. Hey, I think about the volleyball <laughs> scene. Uh, no, I do think about that a lot. No, um, no, the scene where like so after Goose is dead and then Maverick is just totally PTSD and his new the black guy, what's his name, Merlin, who's like ragging on him all the time because he's just such a pansy after that and he's always like engage Maverick and he just won't like he won't engage in the fight and then they have that whole brush up on the tarmac where he's like I'll engage when I'm. GD good and ready but the whole point is that like he's just been so he's so fearful of even being a part of the fight but the reality is like Maverick's the best fighter pilot in the entire world if he would just get over the world whatever he's dealing with like nobody can take him and just realizing that there are some parallels in our situation like if we have the Holy Spirit and we're on fire and on message and on point like working for the Lord then there's nobody that can take us out like us and the enemy and a head to head fight is no contest. So the only thing that he can do is keep us on the sidelines and disengaged and not even fighting at all. So I think if you just want to summarize some of the things that I've been struggling with trying to just launch a disability ministry the last year and a half is just being scared to even engage and being scared to actually fight for these guys and fight for what we really need because of the fear that it's going to cost too much. And the reality is that like it, it might, it might cost us financially. It might cost us as a church, as we grow and develop our culture and try and figure out what that looks like. I mean, the reality, the statistics are alarming. 20% of our community is disabled. Well, 20% of our church body is not disabled. And it's not that those guys don't want to be a part of a faith community. It's just access a lot of times and fear. A lot of these families have been totally just destroyed by church. I mean, you made that point earlier, but we did a parents meeting two weeks ago and we had a new family who just showed up, like bless his heart. The first week that this guy was here and brought his son, we were doing a parents meeting. It's a connection from one of my friends who's a teacher at Tesoro forwarded me this guy's information. His son isn't a student and was looking for just community involvement activities for his son. And he couldn't be a part of the Best Buddies program because his son wasn't a student at the high school. And bless his heart, my my friend forwarded the information to me. So I invited him and his son to refuge and he came to the parents meeting. And this is a dad who's been trying to be a part of a church. And I can, like, you can just tell when somebody's beaten down and like, you know, I'm a pretty emotional guy and I, I can just read it on people's faces. He's like fighting back tears as he's trying to tell his experiences with church. And he said that they had, they had finally gotten their son, like they'd found a youth group at a, he wouldn't tell me what church it was, but he said it's a large local church that they'd finally found a youth group where his son enjoyed it. And like, you know, it felt like they fit in well and it was just, everything was going well. And then the leadership had sat down with the parents and said, this is all great and we're glad that your son's doing well here, but can you do us a favor and not tell any of your friends about this because we're just really not set up to accommodate more than your family and mm, we don't really wow. want to be a church that's known for doing all... And that's, that, 
Like, I just want to be so far in the opposite direction. And that makes me think bad words. It makes me think bad words, too, but I, I understand that, and it doesn't mean those people are monsters. It means they're driven by fear, and right. I've been driven by fear because the reality is if I'm going to sit down with overseers in the Mountain View community and say, guys, like, if we, if we say that we really want to represent the body of Christ— the body of Christ is 20% disabled. Absolutely. Like, like it says that the the weaker parts of the body are indispensable and deserve special honor. So let's stop worrying so much about like, do the kids understand my message on Wednesday nights or not? Like right. maybe that's not the point. Maybe their level of cognition isn't the point. I sure as hell know that the stuff that you were saying about Mark being a part of our community and our body and every time that he interrupts Todd's message, that like adds something to our community and like just who we are as a body of believers that we have found a place for Mark and that we don't just like put up with him, that he's, he's part of our right. community and that people are on board trying to figure out what the rest of his life is going to look like. Cause we love him. Like, I think that's the, the actual model of what the church should look You're like, doing life. but it's scary because that throws us into a question of like, you know, we don't have to guilt or shame each other for what we haven't done in the past, but it does kind of introduce this perpetual sense of questioning, like what can we do better? We don't always have to have a perfect system, but what could we do better? And that's scary because if we say, it's like an if you build it, they will come scenario. Like if we say we want to be the church in South Orange County that is irresistible to the families of those that are disabled, what do we do next week, next Sunday, if all 30 families that come to refuge on Wednesday nights show up at church on Sundays? What are we going to do? Where are we going to put them? We don't have facilities to change diapers. You know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot that needs Start to be. Start rolling tape. It's going to be awesome. But it's like <laughs> all of those questions contribute to the fear that keeps me from fighting for what we really need, which is include. So we've done, you know, Refuge is great on Wednesday nights, but the long-term vision is inclusion. And that's the thing that you learn when you go to these disability ministry conferences. Everybody has similar experiences. These churches are tremendous and have hearts for developing disability ministries, but we all kind of end up in a silo on the back corner of the property. You get this space over here, guys. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. And you understand why that is from a practical standpoint, because like, okay, we can deal with Mark, but what if we've got five kids that are making outbursts? Well, then we've got to put them in another room with the projectors so they're not distracting other people. I don't know, like... These are these are tough questions, but I kind of think that's the season that we're entering into with just being willing to answer that and being willing to say that that's probably what Jesus would have done when he left the flock to go after the one sheep. Like that might be our charge to say if we have a different family that shows up every week with a different laundry list of support needs, are we really going to change our service to account? Like, are we going to start picking and choosing what we decide to? Uh accept or include or reach out to. And I think it's tough because then you think like, well, we can accommodate this level of needs, but like, well, we can't, we can't pay people to do childcare for a 17 year old. So his mom and dad can go to serve. Well, really? Can we really not? Cause we do that for kids. And it's not like right. d- just how do we have this conversation and, you know, not shame or guilt anybody for where we've been or what we've done, but just a mind for growth and the future. And like, you know, that we talk so much about like kingdom come on earth as is in heaven, like in heaven, all things are restored. You know, the body is, 
is all things working together. So that's, if we're trying to do that on earth, then shouldn't we have all parts of the body represented in our community? It shouldn't just be, where can we put these kids on Sunday where they're not a distraction for everybody else? Like we need to start asking tough questions and figure out like, how do we actually include these people into our church service when they want to be there? Right. Sounds like you guys are are doing that. I mean, we've been we've been doing it, but there hasn't been. Uh, actually, you see, it's been growing a little bit. I see more and more kids showing up in first or second service. I've just been scared to tell people that we're doing it. Yeah. So I've been I've been infiltrating slowly. It's a beautiful thing. When, when I'll I'm sneak uh, one or two. I notice in every week. <laughs> I notice. What's this over here? What's going on over when here? When the music's going on, that's. That's one of the most inspiring things is just seeing the pure joy that goes on with those kids. Yeah. I actually and then, Oh, sorry. And I see I see people that are just kind of sleepwalking through it or are afraid and afraid to engage or just not sure and I'm like you need a little bit of that unbridled joy that's right over here. They just don't have a filter. And you get that question a lot when you're doing like a message for a crowd with a spectrum of disabilities like yeah, do they, they even make me sin. do they even get it like how much do they even get and i think you're just missing the point like i don't i don't know if it matters if they get it or what their level of cognition is that adds so much to the culture it does. of our church to just have it them it makes included. me envious and is what i was going to say there's no filter I like love the that. connection so jim jimbo who's kind of our unofficial host on wednesday nights like his connection with the Lord and the way that he worships and the way that he prays love Ryan Kirkland, but like I've never seen anybody do the kind of like extemporaneous praying in the middle of a worship song at exactly the right time saying exactly the right things. Like that's just a connection thing. Like where you're just so plugged in and in tune with the spirit. And I've never seen anybody do that like Jim and some of these other kids. So nice. I don't know. I, I think there is a a more direct access that they have or a more, I don't know. Zero fear. It's what I wish I had. But that's good. I mean, that's good for the body to see that. And, you know, you even notice in the last few weeks, like as we sneak more of our refuge families in there and then, and then everybody's kind of turning around and like, okay, this is a little noisier than it's been historically. I think... I don't know. I, I think it's just part of being responsible and, and walking through this together with the community and preparing people for kind of this next season that we want to go into with, I don't know I, if it's all fear driven and we can reduce some of that fear by just preparing people with, you know, you don't need to be fearful and put off by these interactions. You're going to see a lot more disabled people here in the next couple of months and it's just this is what the body of Christ looks help, like. Help, help, help! Uh, walk people into that. People that don't know and are unaware. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, Dave, I had asked about obstacles and successes, and as you spoke, I think you were really speaking to a lot of successes as well, and things that you you guys have over overcome. And I know earlier I'd asked about superhero, and you seem to be the superhero of this ministry. Um, and your wife is your teammate in this endeavor. That's awesome. That's so, Jeff, 
Yes. That that's a really cogent and articulate bow on this conversation. I love it because we we have to go. But I want you guys have been married five months. Oh yeah, yeah, five months. First fight. Have you had a first fight yet? Post marriage. I don't know. I don't know if we've. It could be an argument. We can call it. But it's all silly stuff. I mean, it's like. Let's hear it. Real quick, can but you I, I can't even. Can your socks on the floor next to the washing machine? Just put them in the washing machine. <laughs> might make sure you have a microphone. I'm making light of it. I don't know. You guys are still glowing, so it it can't be anything huge, but anything. Give us any dirt. Make Jeff feel better about his marriage that he's not alone for fighting every day and just barely getting that by. That was the past. We oh, fight that well. That is not um, the present. We fight well. I don't know. I, mean, I really don't think we've. I hate this because you guys came to our marriage. You guys came to our marriage thing, and there was couples that were throwing things out there like, "Just wait, you know, just wait a couple years. It's gonna be, it's gonna be horrible." I don't know why I gotta talk no, in like some bad truth. <laughs> just wait a couple years. It's gonna be horrible. You're just gonna be pulling you around with your hair. You could be like caveman <laughs> time. It's gonna be awful. Nothing's gonna happen. Everything's gonna dry up. Not Hopefully true. you've had kids by then, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, how, why, why yeah, Dave's, are Dave's feedback was, <laughs> yeah, we're we're having sex. Every That's night. what he yeah. said. <laughs> I was like, maybe you guys are doing it wrong. I don't <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs>